Uh, I wanted to uh, share with you this morning just something about how we read the Bible. Now, uh, I remember having a conversation when I was actually in high school with a man who didn't, uh, wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ and uh, hadn't been changed by the gospel. And he says, you know, I, I've read the Bible, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've said that before. Um, and so sometimes it's kind of hard. Uh, the Bible is really like no other book that people read today in that um, it's been translated from original languages into English, uh, which you can say right now, woohoo, that's great. Uh, be thankful. I remember uh, studying Greek in uh, uh, college, and um, I was struggling. I was struggling in, in this class, and uh, my professor, you know, we're at, at the Master's College, and he says, uh, Kevin, would you lead us in prayer uh, this morning? And it had been a long night. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And I was praying, and uh, I thank God for those who had already translated the scripture into English, and everyone thought that was really funny. Uh, I didn't think it was funny at all. You know, if you've studied Greek, you'll appreciate the work that goes into this. But so it's a book that's been translated uh, into English for us. And and why do you translate a book? Uh, well, because you want to read it. Because you want to read it. You want to know what it says. And so there's a heart in us that says, I want to know what it says. And why? Uh, why would you not just say, I'll, I'll get a new book, something that's new, more exciting, more progressive, more today in its culture in this time. Uh, the reason you read something that's old is because of the value of it, you, the value you find in it. And so we uh, have this translated. We have this before us. We find value in it. But when you actually get down to the message of it, what are we looking for? Or what are we seeking to find as we open up the Word of God? I want to tell you, <clears throat> we're looking to hear from God uh, as He reveals Himself to us. Uh, I want to tell you that <clears throat> every page of the Scripture, every chapter that we would look at, uh, should be theocentric as we look at it. And I want to I talk to you about that just briefly. The idea of being theocentric is that it's, it, it's, we're looking at God. We're, we're studying Him. He has revealed not just what He says, but who He is. Uh, and, and as we look at that, we realize that we see in the Scripture that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so in different places, there will be different parts of the person of the Godhead focused on. But but this is not about man. This is not about the greatness of man. I don't know if you've ever read the scripture and go, man doesn't look so good in the Bible. Um, and unfortunately, the Bible's true. So the true picture of who we are um, is revealed in, in the scripture as well. We see ourselves, but that's not the focus of the Bible. The Bible is focused on God revealing himself to us. This morning, I, I share that with you because I, um, as part of the message that we're going to look at, the little section that we're going to take in Matthew chapter 23, I think we learn an amazing truth about Jesus. It's not that it's the only place we learn this, but it shares with us who Jesus is. 
and especially if you this morning are unfamiliar with the message of Christ, if you don't know how He would fit into your life and your life somehow be connected with His, uh, this is an exciting day for you uh, because this is a great passage that shows us, Jesus actually shows us Himself as He is, the truth about Him. And so uh, I'm excited to share this with you this morning. It, I'll just share with you briefly before we get there. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So John tells us, we're in Matthew. I know I, know I told you to turn to Matthew. But in John 1, we, uh, we see of Jesus that what was true of Him is that He was full of grace and truth. He's full of it. Full of both. It wasn't just one or the other. He wasn't full of grace or full of truth. He was full of both of them. And this is what distinguished his ministry. And I want to tell you that this is different from us today in our world today, both politically and uh, celebrities and leaders of our country, but also us here, uh, down here, just common people of Kern County. I mean, it doesn't get any more common than that, right? Kern County, just say that, you know. If you're out and about and you're in some one of those places and, you know, someone asks you where you're from, you're downtown San Francisco, you're in New York, and they say, where are you from? And you say, Kern County. Pretty exciting. You know, they're going to be pretty impressed, I'm sure. Uh, but, but I want to tell you that, that Jesus was full of grace and truth of grace and truth. Today, it seems like uh, someone is one or the other. They're hateful truth tellers. Uh, they, they, they love to point out the truth, especially if it, uh, people don't like it. And they say it in such a way of, aha, you're wrong. It's true, you're wrong. And I just want to keep pointing it out. I want to highlight it, underline it, circle it, uh, put a spotlight on it. You are wrong. I will tell you the truth. I will tell you the truth. They're hateful truth tellers. Uh, it seems like we have uh, plenty of those, and we may fall into that. Maybe we fall into the person in our home, in our life, in our job, that we're constantly see, saying, you missed a spot. You blew it. And I'm here to tell you, uh, God's placed me here to tell you that you blew it. God's using me in your life right now. You're a loser. Okay? Uh, one of our the, the, the call of our heart we may not say it this way, way is, with a smile on our face we say you're wrong stupid and I love it I love pointing that out you hateful truth tellers or maybe you're a, a, a foolish grace shower I made that up I didn't write, read that anywhere no commentary shared uh, a foolish grace shower uh, and, and the the you look at people and you share with them and, and you're affirming in all that they do. And you, you're just constantly saying, uh, do whatever is, your, is in your heart. You can't be wrong. Just do it. If it comes out of love, it can't be wrong. Uh, and you foolishly are patting people on the back at the edge of the cliff, you know, and you're, you're helping them over the side. And, you know, Isn't it great? <laughs> Isn't it great? Uh, this idea, this grace and truth and and you get this different picture of Jesus. 
that in his grace it was truly gracious, was kind, was merciful. And in sharing the truth, he lays it out there accurately, not with a hateful bone in his body, not with a motive to crush somebody, but to, to show them and to call them out of a place that they were. This is different. This is what we're going to see in Jesus this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the last section in chapter 23. Uh, and this is Jesus speaking. Uh, maybe if you were here last week um, and a couple weeks prior to that, we went through the woe section, right? We went through the woe section where Jesus is truthfully telling the Pharisees and, and the religious teachers, he's saying, this is the way it is. Uh, and you're in deep trouble. And now he ends this section with saying this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you, you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you would work in our hearts and lives, that we would see your son Jesus above all, um, that we would understand his heart, his heart for lost people. And that we would see our need for him even today. God, we thank you for this time. We dedicate it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this this morning, uh, if you look at that uh, prior, uh, in chapter 23, that prior section, you realize that Jesus is going one right after the other, clearly delineating what is wrong with the religious teachers. And he's not pulling any punches. He's not being unkind, but he's being clear. And sometimes clarity just makes us uncomfortable. But he is focusing on them, and he's saying, hey, you're wrong. You're wrong. I, I want to tell you, don't be afraid of the Scripture when you find out you're wrong. Rejoice in it. Rejoice in it knowing that He has shown you the way, that He has uh, allowed you a, a place of repentance and turn around, you turn if you will. Rejoice in that. And this morning, uh, I want to tell you that Jesus has transitioned as He has shared with them the truth. Now He shows His own heart of grace, His own heart of compassion. Um, and really, his broken heart for them. As we look at this, the, the first section, verse 37 there, is the rejection of the gospel. And he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent it. As he overlooks Jerusalem, and most believe he is doing that at, at this time, and as he considers the city, and when you hear Jerusalem, it's, it's the city that's marked or connected with God's people. It was the, the epicenter, if you will, of 
God's work in Jerusalem. And, and this was the mark of, of all the people of the Jews. And as he looked upon it, he, he considered Jerusalem and he identifies them as his people and the ones that were, had a special opportunity uh, as he has come and as he has called them to himself. And he, as he tenderly calls to Jerusalem, he uses this twice, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. But then he says, let me tell you what marks your city. The mark of the city was that they were killers and rejectors of God's message. And I say the gospel, okay? I say the gospel. And I realize that that's a New Testament term. Uh, that means good news and it's connected with Jesus Jesus the good news connected with Jesus but the reason that I, I think in terms of where he says you're the ones that killed the prophets stoned and killed the prophets uh, chased them out why that's a rejection of the gospel is that from the beginning of time when when God was sending the prophets to them the message was this extending out this hand of repentance you're doing wrong and, and you need to change i've got a better way for you god with the prophets he kept on extending his hand to the jews specifically i've got a better way and many times the message of the prophets and the messiah is coming and so there's this extending out of this hand it's constantly coming out and saying uh, the, as he sends the prophets to them, he's calling them out. He's saying, I've got a better way for you. But what marks uh, the Jews? What was the thing that marked their city and their people? The city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to you. You know, this is the thing. This is the thing. It's a rejection of the good news. It's God calling out to them and saying, Come, I want you. I've got a better way for you. And them saying, uh, We're going to kill the messenger. Kill the messenger. You heard that term, right? This is where it's from. You know? This is the picture of it. This is uh, the thing the Jews did over and over again. They killed the messenger. And in killing the messenger, it wasn't just killing the messenger. It was understanding, I hate this one because of the message they share, because of the one who sent them. This was Jerusalem. If you were writing this, and if, you, if this were just a movie, and you were a writer, and you realized what came before, the woes, that Jesus laid out these things that he was clearly showing they're wrong, and now he looks upon the city and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills and stones the prophets that are sent to you. And you go, and now Jesus, with all his power and deity, he is going to stand before the city and call down fire and destroy. And his vengeance will now be poured out on the city. This is, this is what we think would what happen at this rejection of the message. And, and this is what's so difficult for us to understand, is that this message was not just in Jesus. It was also in John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven. is 
Jesus had shared this message, but also before him, John the Baptist. And also before him, the prophets. And not just one prophet, but over and over and over again. And for generations, God had been calling out to them and saying, I have a better way. Come to me. But as Jesus looks out, he sees Jerusalem and he says, you wouldn't come. This is what I've wanted. In fact, as I've sent message to you, you've torn it up and you've killed the messenger. This is the rejection of the gospel. The rejection of the gospel. And that was true of the Jews, Jews even today. But that could be true of you and I as well. Is that maybe we've heard the message over and over again and that we've had people in our lives. It's interesting that, that God does send us people, not as prophets or in any special particular way, but as part of his plan. He puts people in your life. Maybe it's been your mom. Maybe it's been your dad, your grandparents. We see that in the New Testament as well, that even grandmothers are impacting their, their grandson in the case of Timothy. And, and you look at this and you go, it's an amazing thing to hear it over and over and over again. But Jesus, as he looked upon Jerusalem and the inhabitants and really the, the nation, he says, you've rejected the gospel, the message that has come to you. Well, we move on, and we hear from the rejected Savior. You could say the rejected Savior, Lord King, uh, because he wasn't just the Savior. In fact, at this point, he hasn't died. Remember, this is just a few days before his death. And, and Jesus now, he, he tells us not the message anymore, what, the clear message, not even uh, just pouring out his anger, but now he tells us what he thinks about this. Him being the one, the, the focal point, the rejected Savior. As we look at, uh, we look down at God's word, uh, Jesus has spoken, uh, he has called on Jerusalem, and now, now we see in the middle of verse 37, he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. What a picture. Have you seen this picture before? Have you seen a, a, a hen, you know, Buff Warpington? That's what I'm picturing here. Uh, kind of plump hen and she has her little chicks and she puffs her wings out so all of them can gather under her and she just looks huge and you just go what's going on and then a little one pops out sees what's going on and then vanishes again Jesus takes one of the most tender pictures from the animal kingdom and, and, and one where you just can't like He's talking about chickens here, you know, right? Not a majestic animal by any means. But Jesus, as he look, he, he's got Jerusalem in sight, he's seen the rejection of the religious leaders, and he says, this is the picture I want to give to you. It's one of a hen with her chicks. 
Um, with all of the animal kingdom as well as us as humans, we realize that there's purpose behind what happens. There's purpose. It's not just uh, some chicken evolved in such a way where they figured out uh, that they should sit on, you know, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. No matter which came first, the chicken or the egg, that doesn't make sense, that kind of thinking, all right? Um, we look at that and we, we see this beautiful picture of what? Of warmth, protection, and provision, right? We see this beautiful picture. Um, have you ever, maybe, maybe some of you have never raised chickens and you, you haven't seen this, but uh, when uh, a hen is sitting, brooding uh, on her eggs, and then when the little ones hatch, have you ever just go, oh, how cute, and put your hand in there? Um, not a good idea. Unless it, you're telling this to your brother or sister and you're watching them do it. It might be kind of fun. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they puff up and they're like, you're in for a battle. You're in for a battle because you're messing with what is mine. With what is mine. And this is my job and I will do it to the death. So Jesus, as he comes to his conclusion, he says this. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills and stones the prophets that have been sent to you. How often I wished, this word often, it's it's the idea that this was the, the message that constantly came out. This is what I wanted to do over and over and over. It's interesting. Uh, his desire for this is over and over and over again. Uh, if you look back to the word who kills and stones the prophets, it, it's, it's a present active participle. It's the idea that they are constantly doing this, that their action was a constant rejection of message after message. And Jesus corresponds to that constant rejection is that how often, how over and over and over and over and over again have I wanted to treat you as a hen treats the chicks? I wanted you to come in. I wanted you to be the one that's protected by me, provided for by me. I wanted to be that one for you. This is my desire. This was my heart. Uh, Though there's truth that you have failed, This was my desire, my grace. I desired to extend this to you, not because you were good, not because you had done all, but I wanted you to come in. As Jesus shared this message, I I want you to get this, that over and over he wanted to gather them, over and over, and that they together would be connected in this protection in this place right now. And I want to tell you, He's not talking about the church, but this is what's going on right here. This is another picture of Jesus' uh, desire for us. He wants you to be a part of a church. Why? So that you can be on the inside, so that you can be protected, and by by together, all of us under Christ, not none of us being strong in and of ourselves. I don't know if you've thought through the whole chick thing, right? Uh, Baby chicks are at risk. Any, any young 
baby coming out, whether it be the part of the animal kingdom, the, the first part of their life, they're at risk. And Jesus doesn't say that this is a temporary thing that they're going to be out of risk. Yeah, I just wanted to take care of you for the first couple of weeks, and then after that, you'd be on your own. Uh, no, Jesus' picture was that this permanent idea that he would always be enough for them. I love it. I love it. And, and this was his desire. This was his desire. That we would be uh, like those little chicks peeking out and saying, I got everything I need right here. I'm warm and protected and provided for. And Jesus uh, shares his compassionate and willing and beneficial. He, he, he shares that his hand is extended to them this was his desires that they would come on it they would come on it i want to say that, that that you look at this passage and jesus wasn't just saying i'll be your new leader uh, he was describing his own kingly deity he was describing uh he wasn't saying that the father wanted this for you or the holy spirit he was saying that he wanted this and, and to see that this morning and to so, some question whether Jesus was God. He, he was God. And as he looked upon Jerusalem, he was talking about his own provision, not apart from the plan of the Father, but included in the plan of the Father. Jesus looks upon this, and, and what a beautiful picture. And Jesus, what are you saying? He says, I would have been your Messiah, I would have been your Lord. I would have been your king. I would have been your savior. This is what I wanted. And then you read these words, and they're, they're some of the saddest words in the scripture because it says, you were not willing. You were not willing. This is the point for us this morning to get you were not willing. You were not willing. You look at uh, relationships that fall apart. Uh, you look at friends that are no longer friends or uh, husband and wife that are no longer husband and wife, and you say, well, what happened? What happened? And one side would say this. The other side would say this. They would say, well, it happened because of this and that. And There's all these details and stuff. And So we're always looking for the percentage, right? Whose fault was it? Whose fault was it? And Jesus clearly, as part of his truth speaking, as part of his gracious, he says this. He says, my hand was extended out to you always. And the reason it didn't come to pass is because you were not willing. I want to tell you that the message of Jesus is out there. You can find it in the scripture. We'll share it with you. But if we miss the gospel, if we miss the gospel, it's not because Jesus was unwilling to save us. It's that we were unwilling to come, to come. What a picture for us this morning that we might uh, even question ourselves, that we would look at this and say, well, whose fault was it? Whose fault was it? We're real concerned. Well, it's partially their fault and partially their fault. And so they kind of share the blame. Not with this relationship. 
as Jesus, brokenhearted, looks over the city. And he calls and he, he reflects on the many times they rejected the message. Jesus was willing, but they were unwilling to come. I want to tell you for you this morning, uh, are you willing to come? Not, not forward or not to me. Not when you look at your life and you say, I'm struggling with this, this, and this, and you know, I, I kind of want a little bit of Jesus, but not too much or whatever. I, I want to tell you that Jesus would share with you the same message that he shared with Jerusalem. I, I'm like a hen who wanted to gather you in, but why are you staying out there? I'm willing to have you as my own. I'm willing to protect you and provide for you, care for you. I, I'm willing. Are you? This is the message that Jesus shares, and it reveals his heart. A compassionate, willing Savior that calls to us. As he moves on, we see the rejection repercussions. Verse 38. Speaking of Jerusalem again, he says, Your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Your house, if you think back, and I realize it's been months now, because I'm slow, but um, in the book of Matthew, uh, really this week and this time, his entrance into the city and his entrance into the temple. And what he said in the temple was, this is my father's house. This is why it's such a big deal, the mess that's going on. This is my father's house. Now, just a few days later, he looks upon Jerusalem and he says, your house, your house. Uh, he may not be talking about specifically the temple, but really the city and, and the mess they had made out of it. His father's house was important and now he pushes back and he says, look, look at your house and, and the repercussions of what your rejection has meant. He uses the word desolate, and most believe, and as, as do I, is that this marks a change in the ministry of Jesus. And really, uh, one of the big uh, transitions in the plan of God. So the Jews had this special opportunity to respond to the Messiah over and over again. He called to them over and over again. He wanted something for them. But now he says this, your house, the one you, you made, is now desolate. The idea that God is not with you. He's not a part of this house, this mess you're making. He is not with you. And so there's a, a pulling back in the plan of God and a, a transition from focusing on his people to pulling back and focusing on all. You look at this and he says, your house is desolate. It's the idea that it is no longer there. It is no longer part of the leave. It's as if God has left and he, there's no leadership from him and his divine presence is no longer there. As you look at this, you realize in the course of history that probably 40 years later, uh, the temple is physically destroyed. It's physically destroyed. And really the city as well. Um, it's not that, and I want to tell you that that event, which was a big event, 
was just the, um, the playing out of what happened on this day. This day that Jesus said, your house is desolate. It's no longer the place. As we look at that this morning, we realize that our rejection or the rejection of the Messiah, Jesus, has repercussions. That God extends his hand, um, and if it's rejected, uh, there are repercussions both today and sets a course for the future. He says this, um, to the people who are listening and really the, his people. He says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As we see the events of the next few days play out uh, in Jesus' life, we realize that uh, he leaves. He leaves. He, he dies. Uh, he's risen again. He's gone. He is gone. He ascends into heaven. And as we think of this day that is coming, where it says, blessed is he whose name is the Lord. It's the idea, that picture, that that Messiah will come again. He'll come again. Um, and that day, it's an interesting idea, that even as I shared with the kids, um, when you think of the Lord coming again, how do you picture that? Like, wh what are the thoughts that, that rise up in your mind? Is that something where you look forward to the Lord coming again, and you say, I can't wait because I realize that I am His, that I am His, and the problems of this life will be left behind. For others, they look at it and they go, oh, I, I, hope, I hope it's a long way from now because I'm not sure where I'm, I stand with Him. I don't have, you know, my salvation, and I love the things of this life, and this is all there is. There's a different picture there. And I want to tell you, at that day, there will be uh, two responses there will be rejoicing for those who have accepted the Savior, the Messiah. And there will be a sense of relief and uh, celebration because now they are experiencing what they longed for. But for the rejecter, there will be a bitter admission that Jesus was the one, though I had no relationship with him. Um, there will be two responses. As we look at this, I want... I want to just tie up our time with uh, some remembrance of, of three things for you this morning that you can reflect on as you think of this passage. First one is this. Don't fight the message or the messenger. Uh, if it's the true message of Jesus and it speaks of Him, even if you struggle with buying in, uh, realize what that is and, and don't fight against the message or the messenger. Secondly, as we've just talked about, the day is coming. The day is coming. The Lord will return. And I wanted to say I know when it is. I wanted to say that really bad. But I don't. But I do know this. But I do know this. We're one day closer. We're one day closer. Uh, as you think about this, um, you, you think about your life, all of your life. And when you're in fourth grade... Uh, life's kind of tough, right? Because you go, I'm not big enough for this. I can't get through. It's taking forever to grow up. It's forever. Uh, some of us long to go back to those fourth grade days. Now, now, so you get to a place in life, and you're a full-grown adult, and you, you, you consider your own life, and you thought, I, I thought I'd have more together by this time. And uh, 
But you know this. You start doing the math, right? Uh, you, you take your life, and then you say that Scripture says about 70 or 80 or so, and you start doing the math, and you go, hey, I only got to make it a few more years here. This is not going to be forever. And you know, you, you don't know the day, but you know it's getting closer, right? When you look at the plan of God, I want to tell you, this should excite our souls. I realize that there might be difficult days ahead, and I, I realize that uh, getting old, as some of you have shared with me, and uh, I know it's tough, but to know, hey, it's getting closer. It's getting closer to be with Him. I want to tell you, we should live our lives knowing that the end is near. The end is near. We don't know how close it is, but it definitely is close. The day is coming. And lastly, right here, right now, that we should know the compassionate King is willing. The compassionate King is willing. I, I, I want to, that breaks my heart and it also causes my heart to rejoice at the same time, to know that He is willing. He is willing. He is willing to take you in, to take me in. That He, he doesn't look at us and say, you've been so stupid, forget it. I, I, I'm just tired of you. You're so weak and feeble. Forget it. Do it. No, but he, this idea that he wants us to come in. He wants to be our protector. He wants to be our provider, the one that keeps us safe. He wants us. He's willing. And for us to remember this, you know what? Your financial problems, guess what? He's willing. He's willing. He's willing to take care of you. He's willing to protect you. And you say, well, that means he's going to give me all the money I want? No. But he's not leaving you out there on your own. It, when, when you are facing uh, physical things and you go, I don't, I don't know what to do. He's willing. He's willing. He says, we'll do this together. I will be the one who will be the strong one. You'll be the weak one. I'll be the strong one. The, the things that you face of parenting and The, the burdens of relationship. He says, I am willing. I am willing. Come to me. Come to me. And I look at this and I, I say, yes, this, this is what we've needed. This is what we've been looking for. And yet it's in the context of what? Not people saying, yes, I'm coming. But the ones who were unwilling when Jesus was willing. Your life's a mess right now. And you're doing it on your own? It's your own fault. Stop it. Stop it. And come to Jesus. Please join with me in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning and uh, the gift of your son, Jesus. His tender words that we've been able to go over this morning. And God, I ask that you would work in our hearts, all of our hearts, that we would remember that Jesus came was a truth teller but he was also a compassionate king who was willing God help us not to uh, try life on our own uh, please remove the pride that keeps us from coming to Jesus I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives and bring us to the place of repentance and surrender that we would know the the sweet protection and provision of our Lord Jesus. And it's in His name we pray.
Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed.